Assalamu dudes. It is Monday, and you know what that means. You're listening to another episode of Big Stick Energy, brought to you by myself, Tori Anderson. You can find me at Tori A. Alina, and my co-host and best friend, Renee McCurdy. Curdy, just kidding, it's Renee McCurds, at Renee McCurds on the gram. This episode is freaking wild. We dive into so many funny things. The hottest topic, I think, might be dating in ski towns. Yup, you heard me. Or in ski culture, online dating apps. It is a wild world out there for us ski peoples. And we're going to answer some of those questions that keep you up at night. We also talked to someone super freaking dope this week, and it's a jam-packed episode with nonstop entertainment. Uh, Renee's going to tell you a little bit about who we have on today, and we're going to get right into it because, baby, this one's juicy. This week, we were talking to Indra Hair. She's a good friend of mine. You can find her at, at Indra, I-N-D-R-U-H. That's not how her name is spelled, but it is close, just for clarity. And you can also find her at, at Inclusivity. She is the founder of Inclusivity. And if you don't know what that is, she will explain it. You should also check it out because she's doing a lot of really cool things and has a lot of really cool plans for it moving forward. We talk about what an athlete is. We talk about moving to a ski town, being a person of color in that space. And we talk about online dating and dating in a ski town in general. Um, personally, Indra and I have compared our online dating profiles and looked at each other's matches just to make sure we're not hitting on the same dudes. You know what I mean? There's a ratio and it favors one more than the other. Um, I got asked today and I'm like reeling from it. <laughs> Comment on my photo, me on my sled, saying, is it yours? Dude, is that your mom's car? Why? Why do you have to ask me that? Drives me bananas. The bar is literally so low, like it's on the floor at this point. We love dudes, just not all the time. Sometimes we just need y'all to read the room a little bit better. And this episode, hope you can get some insight on how to make that happen. Dropping. Three. Big energy. In three, two, one. A few seconds of awkward silence. (laughs) And then we awkward silence and are like, okay, who's going to actually talk now? Yep. (laughs) Who is it? What are we doing? Um, Yeah, see, this is what I'm talking about. We're all like fumbling now. (laughs) We're like, see, it's like record button. Immediate awkwardness. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the exact same as camera shy. It's just vocal it's, shy. It's like skiing when as soon as somebody whips out their camera to like film you coming down, you're like, I this is it for me. I'm about to absolutely tomahawk, aren't I? Oh, 120%. It's yeah. like <laughs> my best skiing is when nobody or okay, no, I get I get pretty chuffed up skiing underneath the chairlift I'm like a ski under the chairlift hoe I like it I love skiing under the chairlift but that is like also a cool thing because I can remember like probably three years ago where I was like absolutely not I am not going under the chairlift people are just gonna yell and make fun of me and now I'm like let's freaking do it 
absolutely can do it okay yeah. I just want to say that I just put cream on my hands that wasn't me farting if anybody heard it because <laughs> I like clapped it and then squeezed it and it was like too and I was like oh my god my microphone's on while Angel's talking <laughs> Tori Sorry, just everyone. tell the truth I just <laughs> it was Tori who farted not me <laughs> I just want everyone on this call to know that Tori was the one that farted. You know what? I think we are probably going to have an episode at one point about times because I know so many athletes that have shit themselves at the top of like a competition or when they're ski touring. Renee's got some pretty funny stories. I do too. I do too. But we, we need to have a whole episode on that. If you don't poop, you die. Okay? Everybody poops. Wait, the cookie theme of big stick energy just like buttholes like is that what we're continuing now <laughs> i guess so i guess yeah so. yeah i mean there's no um no filter on this show so i am a nurse after all you, you are. are you are a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> oh man um so indra do you want to no we moving past that um yeah you want to give us a rundown on like the quick kind of speed dial who you are what you do all that jazz sure. indra if you were on a speed date how would you describe yourself <laughs> oh my goodness i am not good at dating so maybe this is gonna prove why i'm not good at dating uh, if I had to speed round, tell you who I am, I'm Indra, my pronouns are she, her, and I am super fortunate to live and recreate on the ancestral and unceded territory of the Squamish First Nation, which is Squamish, British Columbia. Uh, and I, if I had to tell you who I was, I would just say that I'm an activist and I am very passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion in outdoor spaces and making outdoor spaces more accessible and inviting to everybody and meeting people where they're at and bringing them along this journey. Was there a specific time that got you started in that space, like a specific experience that set off inclusivity or yes. was it everything? But I want to know like, what was the point when you're like, I'm doing this because I've had enough. This is a lot of BS and we're going to change the world. Yes. Oh, this will this will this is a good one. Um, it was probably it was it happened probably two or three years before the actual inception of inclusivity. But the piece that got me to where I am in terms of being really passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion in outdoor spaces was I was dating somebody. Um, and early stages of dating, you're trying you're figuring out like what are people's hobbies, what do you get up to. And I hadn't fully gotten back into skiing yet, but I really wanted to. I just didn't have the money for the years leading up to get me back into it. So took a bit of like an eight or nine year hiatus. And the person asked me if I skied because they were a big skier. And I was like, not entirely, but like, I really, really want to get back into it. Um, it's something that I, I like, am really hoping to get back into this year. And then for some reason, like in that conversation, it also came up that like, I'd never really like learned how to wakeboard or water ski because I was never around people who had boats. Um, but the accumulation of me not skiing and me not knowing how to like do water sports led to this person calling me the least Vancouver Vancouver girl they had ever met. And I was just like kind of in shock and didn't know what to say because you're like just starting to date this person and you're like, I know you didn't mean that and I feel like you care about me and that feels why does that hurt inside of me? And I like thought about it for a very long time. And it came down to like me realizing like, 
oh, I just didn't have the access to these things that like you think make people a Vancouver person. And in this person's mind, being a Vancouver person meant having this privilege to do these different things with like extra income or like family money and like that intergenerational knowledge of putting kids into ski lessons and all of that different stuff. And so for me, it was like, ooh, that's why that like that topic bothered me. It was because it was rooted in this like privilege and that lack of privilege in that area in like that recreational area made me not a Vancouver person. And I was born and raised in Vancouver and this person was not even from British Columbia. And so that was like this moment for me where I really started to lean into this thought process of like, okay, diversity, equity, and inclusion in the outdoors. Like, why did this person say that about me? I'm a woman, I'm a woman of color and I didn't have that privilege. And so there's all these different things that at the time didn't make me a Vancouver girl. And now I would, I would say that I am my own Vancouver girl. Damn. First yeah. of all, screw that guy. Second yeah. <laughs> of all, it's really inspirational that like, I think that um, your background in sociology probably played into that, like breaking down those cultural systems and how they influence what we see value in. Because like, I mean, my class today, I'm in university guys. So I talk about I know I'm that douchey university student, um, <laughs> but today I'm taking one that's like art history and uh, like visual design and culture. It's kind of all those things. We're talking about the difference between aesthetic and taste and taste is shaped by those microcultures, like what has value. And in the ski world and outdoor world, it's exactly that. Like if mm. you don't have the gear, if you don't have the skill sets, like what is your value? You have to like buy into those things and privilege is definitely in socioeconomic barrier, right? Like money, everything. So totally. that's wild. Yeah. It was, it was super interesting just to think that like, I, I created this, like, like, how do I even say this? Basically everything that I now would say are core parts of who I am, like, being super passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion in outdoor spaces is probably like the first thing I want people to know about me. And it came out of a place of spite initially, um, but also it fueled this fire under me to be like, I never want anybody else to have to feel like, like, that, like the way that that person made me feel. And so how do we change these systems? How do we have these conversations so that nobody else ever has to you know, sit and wonder why a person they're dating just made them feel like absolute crap in that way. <laughs> that is really powerful. And I think that that resonates a lot with Tori and I and the other girls that helped co-found Tang, because at the very base of it, like that is an experience that we all had in what yeah. we created is I don't want other girls to feel this way. So let's create the space for everyone so that we can all shred together and that we can all experience these shared experiences and know that they're normal and that other people also feel this way and that they also are struggling to gain this knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. That like shared yeah. experience and not wanting other people to have to struggle the way that you did, which is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. I think that moving into any of these kind of um, social movements and political, like sociopolitical movements, it usually does start with spite and anger. Like mine, yeah. When I started getting into feminism, it was actually when I started going to therapy to treat PTSD from assault and feminism really helped me like identify 
all these issues in society that led to me being with that abuser when I was 19 years old, like what I grew up with and how I viewed myself, my body, like my social group, all that kind of stuff. And I was so angry for so many years and it took me a while to deal with that and turn it into something productive. I think, you know, like through your experiences, like consulting through um, your organization, one thing that we've had to work on in Wumtang is policing the way that we handle situations. So like making sure that we don't get too emotional because people tune it out, which is kind of horrible because, you know, we do have those experiences with it. So um, do you think that's something that you have to do as well? Like, is that hard? For sure. Yeah. I mean, whenever I post interviews on inclusivity, they're so vulnerable. Like it's vulnerable for me to arrive that way. And it's vulnerable for the interviewee to arrive that way. And so when people just get high and mighty and come into the comments and are just super dismissive of the real lived experiences of other people, not only does it like feel super heart-wrenching for me, but it also, I go into this like protective mama mode where I just want to protect the person who I interviewed and I want to protect their psychological safety. And it's so difficult to put this content out there and not feel really attached to it and really critical of yourself and really critical of it. It's a good thing to be all those things. But I don't know if you folks find this, but I find that I can have so many positive comments come through on something. And it's this, it's this one dude, like telling, telling me that gear is not an issue in skiing that like wrecks me. It absolutely, it's, it's that one person who comes in and just so easily devalues everything that you have just put your heart into saying and put hours into editing, like all of this different stuff. And for somebody who doesn't even have the same experience to come and devalue your experience, I just find it, I find it really hard to not react and, and find it really hard to not like sit in a hole and want to cry for five days, you know? 100%. I think Renee can speak a lot to the whole comments thing because she's had to like mitigate comments in womb cork heavily because we're touching some like yeah. sensitive issues in there, right? And memes are like, we have a whole class at my university that just like analyzes the rhetoric of memes because it's turned into this way for us to communicate on challenging issues but the comments is it's where stuff pops off um yeah yeah a lot of those guys slipping into the comments I think it's interesting how they feel the need to insert themselves and they play the victim or the devil's advocate and it's like it's just so um it makes you lose faith in humanity and yeah it's hard to police yourself after that and I don't know if police is the right word there but that's how I feel when I have to mitigate my feelings. And my dad would always comment that I went through like this angry feminist stage because Mm. as soon as I got into feminism, I realized that some of the things that he would say to me when I was a kid really um, reinforced a lot of those sexist narratives that I had in my head, especially since he's an old school ski racer and stuff like that. And he's worked really hard to deconstruct those. But now it's like when I came up with the idea for Wumtang for class and as it started to develop with the co-founders, he would keep giving me all this criticism. And I was like, you know what, dad? I don't need advice on this. This is what we're going to do. I've I've moved out of my angry feminist phase. And he was like, okay, I'll bite my tongue if it turns into something. And now we're at that point where it it has, it's a movement, which is really freaking cool. But every single day dealing with those conversations, it's so emotionally taxing. That plays into the burnout we were talking about, right? Yeah. I mean, and especially when it's somebody you love, like your dad, like as much as I don't want to seek my parents' validation on things, it means the world when you get it. And if you don't get it, there's something extremely defeating about it. Maybe it's because we are 
pieces of our parents. And so it feels like a piece of us is denying us. I, it, it makes it, I'm with you. It like parental approval for some people. And, and that includes myself. Like, is it sometimes feels like a make or break? For sure. Yeah. It's yeah. Go ahead, Renee. Uh, yeah. Uh, I just wanted to say that womb core comments are mostly good, but sometimes really suck. And the amount of people that do not understand that the reason they can't comment is because they don't follow. And if they say something dumb, I'm going to make them a not follower. And there is ways to do the settings where anything that Instagram views as offensive automatically gets hidden and I can see it, but people who follow are not going to see your comment because Instagram has tagged it as offensive. And that happens a lot. And we go through, we delete stuff. I delete followers so they no longer follow it, like block them, whatever. And it sucks that you have to do that, but I want to keep it a safe space for people who do follow and people who do want to learn. And yeah. there's yeah. A time and there's a place. And some yeah, things like, do not need a devil's advocate. Oh, amen. Like it's a balance, right? Like you want to be able to welcome into your space people who don't hold the same opinion as you so that you can have a conversation. But in the same breath, you don't want to create a space that's volatile and where people feel unsafe to engage in the content or people are being outwardly very, very harmful. And so, yeah, you're doing a good job by just mitigating the space that you're creating and keeping it safe for those who interact with it and like those who create content and share content on that space. Yeah. Indra, do you have any goals for inclusivity, inclusivity this winter coming up? I do have some goals. I, I'm, I'm going through a big learning phase with it. I mean, um, Tori, you might feel similarly for when you created Womb Tank, but like inclusivity at this moment in time is just me. Um, and I'm wanting to be really intentional with anybody that I bring on board. I really want to bring some people on board, especially to help run events and programming. Um, but I, I wanna make sure that it is, it is the right person or the right people for the job. Um, Cause this is just like such a brain baby of mine, but I, I found myself kind of frozen in the burnout. Like Tori, what was it that you just, what did you say earlier? The antithesis. What did you say? Oh, uh, pressure is the antithesis of pleasure. Yes. Oh. Yes. Like that resonated so deeply because I just look at it right now and I'm like, Ooh, inclusivity is like pretty big and pretty heavy and I can't carry it by myself. And so every time I look at it, I look at it with like this pressure for it to be something. And then I just kind of like fall off the surface of the earth on it a little bit. And then it takes people like asking me like, what's up? Or like, hey, how can I help you this year? Can I support on anything for me to be like, oh, there are people who want to help in this. And so one of my goals for this year is to do two weekends of programming in Whistler that'll be either extremely subsidized or more ideally pretty much free for anybody who decides to partake in the programming and and it would be open to BIPOC and by like there'd also be by walk um specific programming so that's a goal of mine and then another goal of mine is i think that there's a lot of power in the interviews which is which is really how inclusivity started and kind of what it was going to be from the get-go and i don't want to stray away from that because i think that there's so much beauty and power in storytelling but I wanna make sure that I'm doing it right. Um, and I wanna make sure that anybody that I interview is being compensated for those interviews. I haven't been able to pay people in the past, but I'm looking to be able to pay previous 
interviewees and any new ones that I do this year, I'm looking to be able to compensate them because um, social compensation is a thing like Instagram followers and having your videos circulated like that's that that's kind of profiting off of other people's lived experiences and and I don't want to profit off of people's trauma. Um, I want to be able to give to them and I want them to feel supported within the community and so I think one of my larger goals is to be able to really keep these interviews going because I think that they're very powerful, but I want to ensure that I'm doing it in a way that is fair to the person being interviewed. And so that's kind of why I've halted on them a little bit too, because um, I'm trying to figure out a way that it, it feels more right for me. I, I love that. I mean, people deserve to be paid for their time, right? Tori, can you talk about that? we talk about that a lot I mean, yeah we do and relative to like womb tang and bringing the right people on like last year womb tang grew past our capacity to manage it and to position it effectively to continue that scale um and having the other girls come on as co-founders like Haley, chegg uh and meg it was huge but then we also found a lot of gaps in our in our skill sets and also our vision so like you said, finding the right people to do it and kind of holistically honing in on that one aspect is really, really freaking important. And the other thing was the the amount it was growing required so much unpaid work, which yeah, like to keep that passion there and to keep that drive there is so difficult. So we were trying to build a business model where we could generate enough to pay for you know the time that everybody's putting into it. But also doing that through a pandemic was really difficult. It limited our product offerings to like stickers. If we wanted to do merch, like events weren't possible. So it was just, it was a lot. So now we're back in the ideating phase to figure out how we can push forward and really push the movement. So maybe that's something we should have like a separate business meeting about. Cause I feel like Absolutely. we could, we could definitely sauce up some pretty sweet ideas between our two organizations. <laughs> I think so. And, I, and I'm sure this will resonate with you, but I feel like like when I started posting on inclusivity, like it felt so hack and it all ha like it was I, I like I started doing it when I had a little bit of time off during Christmas, like I had like five days off. And I was like, I looked at my sister and I was like, I have this idea. Do you want to be the first person that I interview? Because she's like was getting back into skiing and had a whole experience about being half deaf in skiing. And I was like, you're the perfect person. Like, do you want to be my like first go at this? And after one interview, there was already like, probably five or 600 followers. Like after like three months, there were 2000 followers. I expected having maybe 300 followers. Like I expected, like, I, it was kind of just like an outlet for me because I was tired of having these conversations by myself and conversations that I knew were so important that I was like, maybe if we can share some of these conversations, it'll just spark people to like have these talks when they're like skinning up on their tour. Like just talk about these things with your friends. And then it just, it grew so fast. And I've very intentionally not been posting on it right now because I know that I can't handle that growth myself when something just blows up. And it's sick because like both with Womb Tang and Inclusivity, they blew up because people want, people, people want that. Like people want to hear what we have to say. People want these communities. But I just, I think I can speak on behalf of both our organizations that that was not in the most beautiful way was not what we were expecting. <laughs> 100%. Like we, I think in October, we were under a 1000 followers. And now like Wombcork's pushing 7000. And Wombtang is just over 6000. Like that's 
insane in a year. And like over the summer and stuff, I would say tail end of winter, we also stopped posting because we had some like internal organization things we needed to figure out and also like solidifying direction, workload, all that kind of stuff. It was just, you know, like we all of a sudden had, I think we've got like over 30 ambassadors across North America now. And like, we had all these ideas on how we were going to support them. But at the end of the day, all of us also have full-time jobs where students like athletes and to do this, it was like the amount it was growing was to the level of a full-time job with a, like an entrepreneurial, you know, endeavor. It was like, it was so difficult. It's so difficult. So repositioning and moving forward is awesome. And like you said, the fact that this many people have gravitated towards movements like this, and that's, Wumtang is a brand and it's like a sassy personality um, in its own. That's the way that I designed it, but it it is a movement. It's a hundred percent a movement. And the fact that this many people are gravitating shows that there's a significant cultural flaw. And we talked about that in our last episode with Alex as well. Um, it's just the industry needs to pivot and evolve. It is very far behind the rest of society and the rest of society still has a way to go. So this is what we're doing, baby. This is what inclusivity is about. Us, this podcast, we're doing it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Indra, you recently had a big move. And okay. I think we should talk about that because it's a big move for you. Exciting. It is. It is. Yeah. I, uh, I recently moved to Squamish. And it's not far from Vancouver. It's, it's an hour and I'm a bit away. But... I moved, I moved to a mountain town, which has been in its own, a really interesting experience. I moved to a mountain town in August and I'm interested to see how it feels when ski season hits. Um, but there have definitely been a couple of like weird moments being the brown girl who moved to a mountain town. I feel like I could write a children's book on this. <laughs> yep. Let's start with dishing them on the internet. I'm yeah. so excited to hear about this. I've moved to ski towns all over the world and I can't even imagine uh, like your perspective. I'm, yeah, this is, I'm so excited. Let's hear it. It's, it's so interesting. So I grew up like around Vancouver. I grew up in, like around Vancouver in the suburbs. And then I went to university in the city and basically was in the city from when I was 18 to 25. And I've always known that I, I've always been a brown girl in white spaces, for sure. But I haven't been a brown girl in like white towns, if that makes sense. Like Vancouver still has a lot of diversity and UBC had a lot of diversity. And of course, like I will admit, my friend groups are have always been pretty white. And so I've always felt like the person of color in my friend groups. But then to move to a town where you feel like you are the person of color for the town, <laughs> like the Indian girl for the town is a very interesting thing. And like, it didn't really hit me until I had been here. I mean, I've only been here for a month, but like, I think it was like three weeks in, I was starting to realize what was happening because it was at the point where I was meeting some people for a second time and I'd met them very much in passing and, and I didn't remember them. And this happened the other night at an event and somebody comes up to me and they were like, oh, Indra. And I was like, yeah. Hey, like, have we met? I'm sorry. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, sorry. We like, we met in passing here and it was just very brief, but so-and-so introduced us to each other. And I was like, oh, sick. Well, nice to meet you again. And I walked away from that and I was like, man, that's been happening a lot lately. Like 
I feel really bad for just not remembering these people. And then it kind of clued into me very quickly. At first, I was very flattered. And I was like, oh, maybe these like, boys think I'm cute. Like, that's fun. And I was very flattered by all of it. Uh, and then I set my ego aside. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. You're just the only brown girl that they've met, like, probably in the past few months, you know, like, it like that was just a very stark moment for me where I was like, no, you're not that special. You're just you're just the brown girl. And even like yesterday, I got a text from somebody who I don't know very well saying like, hey, was that you at breakfast? Like at this brunch spot? I'm sorry I didn't say anything to you. I hope you had a great brunch. And I was and it, I was in I was in Vancouver. It wasn't me. And so I texted them back and I was like, nope, that wasn't me. And they were like, oh, hilarious. Well, looked like you, but couldn't tell with the mask. And I was like, texted them back and I was like nope just another brown girl and that's kind of what the experience has been <laughs> oh god <laughs> so it's super interesting because like people will remember me because I'm the only one that they've met but then if they see another brown girl and, and she's wearing a face mask because COVID it's got to be me like it's got to be Indra there, there's no other way so that's kind of been the experience thus far <laughs> I like, I'm kind of lost for words right now. I can't even like, I don't, yeah, that's wild. What is that? What does that feel like? Like, how does it affect you and your feeling of belonging in the town? Like, you know, what has that emotional process been like? Yeah, totally. I, I feel kind of lucky because actually in Squamish and Sea Sky, I do have like a, a relatively diverse group of friends, which is nice. Like, I don't really feel like the person of color in these friend groups, because there's a couple of us for sure. But like, yeah, being in, in town, it's I, my first thought was like, okay, Andrew, you got to keep yourself like under wraps a bit, like, maybe don't like, oh my gosh, this is like kind of on the same line, not really a tangent, but like, being the only brown girl in this town and like dating, for example, like, word's gonna travel fast if you're just dating everybody, or like you've gone on a bunch of dates with different people, because I'm the only one that looks like me dating these people, you know? And so it, I was just like, maybe I have to like reel it in a bit, but it made me feel like I had to keep myself like under the radar a bit more because otherwise maybe, maybe again, this is just me being like having a super big ego. Um, but like, I was like, I feel like I need to like mellow out and like fly under the radar a bit more because if I do anything and people say like, oh, like, like people will know if a brown person did something that it was me. Like, it's not, does that make sense? I feel like I'm talking in circles, but like, does that kind of make sense? Definitely does. Yeah. 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 I just, I just kind of, it made me feel like you're the only one that kind of looks like you. Not only one is an exaggeration, but one of very few. So I was like, just, you just have to fly under the radar a little bit more. Like, don't get yourself into any trouble. I think as a girl in a ski town, you kind of feel that just like in general, because yeah. there's, there's only so many girls in a ski town. And then it's like, you date one dude and you're like, well, now I can't date any of his friends. And then you just have the, this like compounding effect on that. Like you have the being a girl and then you also feel like you're the only woman of color and it just yeah. compounds and then it sounds like what you're describing is like those two things together that just like make you feel that way 
totally yeah it, it is like the compounded effect of all of that and like yeah being a girl in a ski town where there's like five dudes for every one girl and you're always like one degree of separation away from like somebody who's dated like your current partner or like everybody's kind of slept with the same person like it's actually just so dating in a ski town is like a whole other thing like it's just wild (laughs) when I moved to Wanaka New Zealand I remember like you know I was like swiping it was actually I moved there in my van with this guy that I was dating from Fernie and we broke up like a month before we got to Wanaka and still had to live in the van together and that's like a whole other story but damn that was hard but he left to go back to Canada and I decided to stay and my friend put me on Tinder. I've never been on Tinder before because I was really upset and I was like sleeping in her bed that night out of the van. And I woke up the next morning with 70 matches. And it was my first day at this ski shop I just got hired at. And like 10 of them came in the door. And it was just at this ski shop. And I kept dipping into the back. And my boss is like, what's going on? And I was like, okay, if I'm honest, I got a little thirsty on Tinder last night and I woke up with a ton of matches and I don't think I'm actually attracted to them, but now I don't know what to do. Like, what am I socially obligated to give here? (laughs) And so we just had this code where for the rest of the day, like if one of them walked in, I'd be like, Tinder. And he'd be like, yeah, go get like a ski boot from the back. I was like, let's get it. And get them out of the store. Because I was like, this is so overwhelming. And I remember telling a guy friend about it and he had this phrase that stuck with me it was like in a ski town it's not your girl it's just your turn that's disgusting also it's disgusting but the more that I have moved around ski towns like even living in Tofino and stuff like that it's like in these sport towns there's usually like you said a five guy to one girl ratio which means that you know there's like a hard competition so I had friends who had hooked up with guys that I was dating and it was like you kind of move past it being weird, which is also weird. The whole concept's just weird. That's why we need more diversity in ski towns, period. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It's it's so, it is the strangest thing. Like you just feel like you're, the rules about like friends not dating each other's exes like almost has to go out the window in order for anybody to get by because everybody is friends. Everybody is so connected and you just have to kind of get over it. Like if you see like your exes with somebody that you know, you're like, this is inevitable and I just need to move past this because this is where we live now. This is this is just the state of being that we are in. Oh, 100%. And like I've even had awkward situations like living in Fernie where I liked this guy and I had like a girl basically pretending to be my friend because she was also interested in him, waited for us to stop seeing each other and then like literally swooped in for the kill and we weren't close friends anymore. It was like there's so much competition for dating in ski towns it's really weird yeah it's 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 definitely strange and it's so funny because if you would have asked me like a year ago even if if I would ever move to Squamish like I would always say I would always I would always used to say like I really want to move to Squamish but I want to do it like once I have a partner and like we've settled down and like we have a dog or something like that and like that was kind of how I envisioned my move to Squamish and then I got to a point in like January of 2021. And I was like, why am I waiting for this fictitious person to go and like do something that I really, really want to do? Why, why am I waiting for a man so that I can go make this next thing? Like, what the hell? No, 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 no. You don't need a man. You like this? No, absolutely not. (laughs) So now there's so many men, but it's like, it's too much. 
it's too much to sift through. I also had that experience of making Tinder and just being overwhelmed with the, the amount of men and, and being like, um, again, like frozen in inaction of being like, I actually don't think I want this. This is too much. Yeah. And they, they all send you the same message too. Every single oh one. God. They're like, oh, you like skiing. And you're like, cool. Like, can you talk about any other thing other than the completely most obvious thing that is on my profile? And it's like, yeah, I get that that's probably like how they want to start a conversation. But I've had just ridiculous matches, like living out here, where the conversations I like, I can't, I cannot even. Like this one guy asked me a billion times what kind of bike I have. It's like either that's the only thing you know how to talk about, or you're just trying to assess my trail cred before you will ride with me. And joke's on you because my bike is hella nice, but I'm not going to tell you which one it is. You can just ask me what trails I like to ride if you really want to meet me. A hundred percent. I have a really interesting insight that crosses over from like trend analysis in like economics to ski towns. And there's this new trend that's called, it's, it was coined by Faith Popcorn. It's this trend analysis firm. Um, it's called the Eve Olution, and it has to do with women today currently passing men with higher levels of income. There's more women in the United States that have degrees than men. Um, we're basically pushing into places that were traditionally masculine. And what's happening in ski towns and like conversations I've had with a lot of my girlfriends is that most of us have degrees. We're professionals, like we're either pursuing our master's, entrepreneurial, all that kind of stuff. Like we have that side hustle because we're forced to have that side hustle. If we want to ski and we want to do those activities. And then you move to a ski town and you are surrounded by dudes that don't have the same level of motivation or the same level of commitments. And it makes dating really freaking difficult. Like I've met guys where I'm like, you are so freaking lovely, but I'm on holiday right now. And the second I get back to real life, like I'm not going to have time for you, which is really difficult. Yes. Yes, totally. Like, Ski towns, it's just full of men with Peter Pan syndrome. We're like, yes, we're sorry, yeah. men, but this is the truth. This is how we feel. <laughs> like, damn, like, oh, it's totally Peter like, Pan. That's the best thing I've ever heard. It's Peter Pan syndrome. It's just like these boys who don't want to grow up. And it, it, it drives me bonkers because you have all these like incredible women who are so smart so accomplished and balanced like having full-ass careers with being shredders and then these men who just like don't want to commit and like want to have that comfort of a person and like want to have somebody to sleep with and make out with and like we all love physical touch it's so nice but then when it comes to like committing it's just like it they they run for dear life or like when it comes to like a sign of growing up and us I don't want to like put like men and women in such boxes here but like I feel like as a woman I've always had to grow up like I, I felt like I had to grow up super fast in order to pay for skiing pay for biking like to do these things that I love I had to get a freaking big girl job so that I could finance all that fun on my own but it means during the weeks like I work a nine-to-five job I work 40 hours a week and then I have a side little gig that I'm super passionate about um and these men are just a little different reach I think it's uh yeah I actually can't remember what I was gonna say there sorry guys it's been a long day Renee take the wheel <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I like 
like had this great idea and then it was just like swoop she gone sorry <laughs> my bad. I just like what I truly feel like right now I'm not making a good case for anybody to want to date me but also I'm like let me just put my true feelings out on the internet so that we don't have to talk about this after we've already been dating for two months you know what is your best pickup line oh my god as if I have a pickup line Renee I don't chase <laughs> I attract as the TikTok oh, mom. Oh, that's some big stick energy right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you heard it here first, boys. <laughs> Get to work. It's lined out for you. <laughs> oh my God. That's so good. Man. Yeah. I think like, I think Tinder is overwhelming because like they all have the same pickup line like I've got videos of me skiing it's like oh you look like you shred and actually my current boyfriend funny story um we matched on tinder a few years ago and I remember seeing him because he has a name that's like not you don't see it commonly today it's like definitely a few generations old because it was like his grandpa's name and dad's name so forth and he um we matched on tinder nothing ever happened because again I chickened out and then he followed me on Instagram last year, maybe around October. And I looked at his profile and I was like, oh, I remember you. You're cute. You shred like, you know, your name, like what? And so I followed him back and then definitely slipped into his DMs when I saw an opportunity because I make shit happen. Yep. Made the first move. And then I asked him to go on a date and date went great. And then like two months later, um, well, when I asked him to go to date, I mentioned that we matched on Tinder. He confirmed. And then two months into dating, he was like, I need to be honest with you about something. I was like, what? And he was like, when I found your profile, I noticed that and remembered that we matched on Tinder a few years ago. And I actually messaged you on Tinder and you didn't reply. So then I followed you on Instagram. And I actually just went and read that message recently. And it was the classic, like, you look like you shred. And it just made me laugh so hard because he's got a career. He's so intelligent and driven. And I was just like, I guess, you know, ski boys don't have a very limited hit on you vocabulary sometimes. <laughs> right? That's, Maybe we're giving them too much, not enough credit. Maybe we're not giving them enough credit. I mean, but love that for you. Thank you. This is like the healthiest relationship I've ever had. And I'm hella happy. So they Please. do exist. But when I started dating him because of, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to say it, my fuckboy experience in ski towns, I was literally waiting for the drop on what was wrong with him because he was just yeah. too good. Right. And at one point I asked him, I was like, why are you single? Like, what is it? What is it? Like, tell me. And he was like, I just haven't met anybody that I'm really attracted to or is on my level. And I was like, I'm on your level, boys. Like, what if you're on my level? And I made it really awkward because that's what I do. Um, <laughs> but it was, you're so used to dealing with it in ski towns. It's honestly phenomenal. Yeah. You're just waiting for but, the other shoe to drop. Like, it's just it like. Is such, hmm. This is such the classic line too. Oh, you look like you shred. And you're like, yes. Have you seen my pictures? Obviously, I shred. Like, I honestly <laughs> started saying, yeah, I do shred. And it's interesting yes. to watch them squirm because when you like assume that space and you're not looking for their validation on the fact that you can shred, they kind of like squander or some of them get upset. Some of them are like, well, you don't have to be so like rude about it. And I was like, it's called confidence, honey. It's not rude. Yeah. Like that's something I'm trying to do too, is when people like say those kinds of things, like owning it, like, yeah, I do shred or like not playing yourself down. I feel like 
for me as a woman, I would always kind of play myself down so that I wouldn't disappoint people in the long run. I would never want to like own up to any skills that I had. And so I would always, and even like, I still do this. Like I still will play down what I do for like a living or like what I do in my spare time, because I don't want to disappoint people. I don't want to draw attention to myself. And instead taking that ownership into your own hands and being like, yes, this is what I do. And like, yes, I do shred. Yes. I'm a good skier. Like it empowers you because it's, and it's freaking true. Like, why are we making ourselves smaller? It's just what we're taught as women, just to minimize ourselves. And I actually had to do the same thing, like work on it in therapy, because when I used to get compliments, I'd respond in a Western accent, like, thank you, like kind of like Elvis, or I'd be like, thanks, like really in like finger guns, like finger guns are my ultimate combat awkwardness tool. And my therapist was like, that's not good. Like we need to work on building your self-worth. So I had to like, just be like, take a deep breath in and then thank you. And it, it gets easier, but it, it is hard. It's really hard. I have a lot of sympathy for that. It's really hard. Indra, I think that that builds on, it builds on a conversation that you and I have had a bunch of like mountain biking on the single track and driving too, where we're talking about how we define an athlete. Like what is an athlete? Well, I feel like you and I have spent hours talking about this and that feeling that you just described, I think it all comes down to what we consider an athlete. Like who is an athlete and why are they an athlete? And what do you see being an athlete in all of the media? And then the way that you consider yourself an athlete or not based off of that. Like that's totally. really what it comes down to. Yeah. And like take it a step further and think about like how do we define athlete today? And like who had access to the tools that got them there? Like who had access to parents who could take a lot of time off to take kids to like tournaments or parents who could take you to like a five or 6 a.m. hockey practice, Um, access to the money to stay involved in the sport, like all throughout all of these different years, because as a child, you're growing and your gear, you're constantly needing to rebuy it. Like who had access to buying lift tickets every single year? I think a lot of it comes down to like, the gift of time that a lot of people with privilege have that I, I definitely have that privilege of like, I have my weekends and so I can go and take myself to the Hill, but like having that extra privilege that gets you to being what society defines as an athlete. And for me, it's like, shoot, an athlete is anybody who like puts in a dedicated amount of time and passion towards a sport. Like if you get up and you go and like ride your mountain bike on weekends, you're an athlete. I don't care if you're not competing in like Canadian Enduro series races. You are, if you're pedaling up, even if you're taking, if you're like going to the bike park and you're taking the chair up, you're an athlete for sure. And I think that that needs to change. Like I think, and and I think that's a conversation that like brands need to have with themselves too, right? It's like when you look at a brand and they have their athletes page and it's all of these white Olympians or white like export X Games athletes, like who are we calling an athlete? And like in that definition, who's being left out and who's not being told that they can also be an athlete. Yes. That, that, that's last bit. I think that's the most powerful part of that whole spiel is who's being left out because that's the definition of an athlete. And like when we look at the ski space and I think you could probably extend it to the mountain bike space too, 
you're looking at white people, heteronormative, able-bodied, like, yeah. You know where I think there might be some overlap, like uh, your experience moving to Squamish, it's a white space. I think it also is probably very uncomfortable for BIPOC to move into those spaces as professional athletes too. Like it hasn't really been carved out for them, you know? Um, we talked about that in our previous episode with Alex as like a woman moving into the space or LGBTQ plus, like right now, the entire system is designed around white men, like yeah. very elitist culture. And it's, it can be very alienating. And Renee and I have had a difficult time with that as well, just, you know, simply as women, like assuming that space, learning how to ask for your worth, because right now the, all of that measuring for uh, what value you bring is like the metrics are inherently cis, heteronormative, white, and male. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like, now I'm having that moment where I had a thought and now it's gone. We're, we're passing it around. We were Renee, talking of, you're going to lose we were, your, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're going to lose your thought next. Cause I had one. I, we talked, we brought up mountain biking and moving to Squamish and now I just, I want everyone oh. to know. She remembers. She remembers. <laughs> it came hold back. on to it. Get your it thought came out, back. Renee. Renee, you hold on to your thought. So okay. Like, Indra's thought first. We'll take <laughs> her. Okay. My thought. Great. Um, okay. So my thought on this was like, a lot of companies have now, you know, after the murder of George Floyd and so many others and our global awakening to something that Black folks and Indigenous folks and people of color have known for so long. Uh, brands started to like really want to pick up like athletes of color. Um, and something I've noticed too, though, is that like a lot of brands are doing it for the sheer purpose of like having one of us on their roster or having a handful of us on their roster. But the internal work to be a brand that can support this marginalized experience hasn't been done. So they've added us to the list, but there's like nothing extra to support like the different experience of BIPOC folk and not to speak for all BIPOC, this is fully based on my own experience. But what I have experienced is like being brought on and people being so excited about me. And then it's been over a year since the murder of George Floyd and so many others. And there's still so much inequity happening um, and I've just seen a lot of the brands kind of fall off of those promises. And, and on top of that, like, I haven't felt necessarily like psychologically safe or encouraged to like arrive in these spaces as myself. Like I've said no to going to leadership summits for some of these places that I'm ambassadors for, because I'm not ready to go sit in this like group of white people and be that token one or like one of the three out of the 50 people there. Um, so people are wanting to bring us on, but they're not actually creating a psychologically safe space for me and my experiences to coexist with everybody else. Do you think like you have a lot of um, experience like working in DEI, so diversity, equity, and inclusivity? Do you have any um, insights on how we can make that happen, right? Like I know mm -hmm. that we've, and don't give away key pieces because you definitely need to be paid for that work, but just insights on or examples of how you've seen like previous employers innovate that space. And like, we've talked to you a lot about how we can do that with Wombtang because that's a mm -hmm. key priority in our mission, right? So do you have any insights yeah. on that? I think part of it for me is like, 
before companies or organizations like say externally to the rest of the world that this is important for them and they want to support you know people of all backgrounds as they'll always say um do the work internally first like do the hard heavy work with your team first and make sure that you can go and like support these traditionally marginalized folks like if you have no experience working with traditionally marginalized folks and you want to like hire them on to work alongside of you, like just make sure that you're not hiring them to like tokenize them or to get them to do all your DEI work for you. Cause that's it. that ends up being exactly what happens. Um, and then people aren't getting compensated fairly for it. And, and then there's nobody else really that looks like them in that space, echoing their experience and supporting them. And instead they're just sitting in this role. And when I say they, again, I mean me, like, you know, I can find myself sitting in this position where I am the only person of color and I'm speaking to my experience and the room is silent because nobody else has ever shared that experience before. And I then end up going away from it saying like, did I say something wrong? Was I too intense? Did I, did I say too much feeling bad for maybe making people uncomfortable when like the reality is, is like these topics can be uncomfortable. And that discomfort is like your intuition telling you that you need to grow and that it's time to change. Um, but when there's those moments of like long silence and, and there's no other, you know, there, there's not like 10 other like women of color in that space being like, hell yeah, like way to go. Then that's kind of where, you know, I walk away feeling un unsure of myself and it just kind of reinforces this, like, and you are the only one in the space and you don't necessarily belong in this space. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. That's one of yeah. the reasons that Wombtang grew so quickly was because it emotionally resonated with the women following. They were like, I finally feel like I belong. And we had this post series called What Does Wombtang Mean to You? And the heartfelt moments where these women and girls felt like they were represented, it was okay to be at whatever level they were at, that there was others in their community that they could connect with in the broader ski industry and as like, you know, a hobby, as a sport. Um, also at employment levels was really inspiring. And it was so cool to see that happen. And I think the, the lack of diversity at governance boards levels and in that organizational culture, it sounds like employers almost need to take on the opportunity to educate their staff on dealing with those experiences and learning how to have those hard conversations and doing that work pre beforehand, exactly what you said, because- Totally. Yeah. It's very like, I call it woke washing. That's what it yeah. is when these businesses jump on it without the infrastructure system to support it. And then it just becomes performative because you're doing it and you don't actually don't have the capacity to like support the group of people that you're trying to speak on behalf of or that you're trying to support. Like if you, you just, you just don't have experience or capacity in doing that. And that's where I've had some hard times with, with brands or with companies who have reached out and I've straight out asked them like, what is your experience working with traditionally marginalized groups? Like before I send my following over to your page, when I, before I send my community over there, I want to make sure that I'm sending them into a safe space. And a lot of the time, those companies won't answer me. I'll ask them what their, what their experience is in supporting this group of folks. And they won't answer me back. And I'm like, ah, because you don't have the experience and maybe aren't the best people right now to be doing that. And that right now is a core piece too. It's like, I understand that your intention is there, but let's just make sure that we do our homework first before hopping in right away and because that can just lead to more harm. That's so powerful. Yeah. I think too, a Dang. lot of that, a lot of that 
in the past year has fallen on people like yourself, where then you are using up a lot of your emotional space to be teaching other people about your experience. And that can be very, very exhausting. And like when it comes to Tang, we felt it too. But I mean, you end up using up your energy to teach people and then you're the one that's burnt out from all of it. And it becomes a burden that you're putting on yourself where you're lighting yourself on fire for the good of all these people. And the fact that brands want you to do that for little compensation is something that is worth talking about. Yeah. Like no compensation a lot of the time. Yeah. I was going to say it's usually nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dang. Here's a free pair of this thing that you already have. And we want X, Y, and Z from you. <laughs> Exactly. This is, this is making me think a lot about um, consulting and working with brands and what I bring to the table in the feminist movement um, as well. And I think that's something that I need to learn how to quantify and separate from my value as an athlete. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Big time. Dang. So much work to do. So much work. That's all I'm realizing day after day is like, there's so much work to do. And then I have to remind myself that I'm also a human and it doesn't actually all have to be my job. Right? Oh, yeah. man. Learning how to say no, setting boundaries. I need to work on that. I literally sent Renee a meme about that the other night. Yeah. My therapist yeah. and I are really trying to work on it. The whole boundaries thing. Not good at it. We're getting there, but it's hard. And it's hard when you want to help, but you have to put your own oxygen mask on first. Yeah. And avoid the burnout. Like I, Renee and I both, and I'm sure yourself too, we've talked about burnout briefly and on Instagram and stuff like that. Um, running at maximum, like 120% all the time, doing all of the things. And like, you're good for maybe like four or five days. And then you reach rock bottom and you like disassociate, you're avoidant, you have zero energy and you have to like plug in recharge and then do it again. And it's not sustainable. It's no. like, how do we, how do we figure out and balance that? And that's part of the issue around not compensating people for the work that we're doing, right? Like working with brands and stuff like that. Cause that means we got to hustle our little butts off and exactly. Yeah. We don't now quit. You're tons and you're not even skiing on your day off cause you're so exhausted. And then you spend all this time getting other people stoked on skiing just to not go skiing yourself and have, yeah. I mean, there's still some good feelings that come with that cause you're helping people, but again, like lighting yourself on fire to do it. Pretty much. Yeah. I think we, um, I think we're probably pushing near the end now. Mm -hmm. um, we have this thing where we just keep talking and then we're like, crap, now we have to cut off 15 minutes because the conversations are too good with yeah. our guests lately. But um, Alex, in our last, uh, last episode, after we finished recording, pointed out this awesome thing that we could do that's inspired by another feminist podcast where we ask you three women or BIPOC or people that you want to plug that could help push this movement further and help connect listeners with this community on a deeper mm. level. So it's your time mm -hmm. to do that. Three. Wow. I wish I had some time to think about this beforehand, but here we are. I mean, first Sorry. of all, like, <laughs> oh, it's all good. Let me see. If, I mean, there's just so many, but like, um, I want to make sure that I'm doing right by people. And the first and foremost that I want to connect people with if they aren't already is my good friend, Maya Antone, who's the founder of Indigenous Women Outdoors. Uh, yes. She's getting up to so much. Um, 
and and if you don't follow Maya, like either follow her or Indigenous Women Outdoors, um, because they are really making some incredible waves for the Indigenous community within the Sea to Sky. Uh, and I have just learned so much from Maya just by being in her presence. Um, and it's just been the biggest gift ever. Um, another person that I would like to plug is actually her uh, Maya's counterpart, Sandy. And I just want to look up her Instagram handle so that I can share that. It is her name is Sandy Ward, and she also works with Indigenous Women Outdoors uh, and is the co-lead there. And so she's the second person that I would love to gear people's attention to. Um, and then a third person. Let me think. Let me think. Man, there's so many. Oh, it um, could be a person, organization. Well, definitely like you are a test run with this idea. So now we know to mm. give our guests maybe an email prompt to brainstorm beforehand. <laughs> no, it's all yeah. good. Just sprung say, this one on you, but. <laughs> it's all good. I think I'm just overwhelmed because I know so many amazing folks. Um, it is really important I, though, because so I know like, the last year, this last year I've diversified my own feed with who I'm following. And it went from, you know, one thing to now I know all these different people and all these different aspects of multiple sports where it's actually just like really improved my feed. And now I don't have any token X, Y, Z because there's so many in every respect and it's growing. I'm not saying that I'm perfect and that I have the most diverse feed ever, but it gets more and more diverse every day. And so yeah. I, I think it's sweet if we can share some of these awesome people with our listeners so that they can do the same. And then it just normalizes everything that we're talking about. Totally. No, I, and it's so important to diversify our feeds and I'm, I'm in a similar boat as well. Um, and I think for me, I think a third person that I would want to highlight who has highlighted so many people, um, her name is Aaliyah and her Instagram handle is Aaliyah Y Photography. And she actually wrote an article for the Narwhal about 10 um, folks who are working really hard to diversify outdoor spaces. So if you go to Aaliyah's Instagram, you can scroll through and she's done highlights on everybody that she interviewed on this photo essay, but you can also see the full photo essay at the Narwhal. Um, and there's 10 people for you to follow there that will help um, just add some perspective to your feed. You are just going for bonus points. Yeah, <laughs> you couldn't do three. So you're like, like 14. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and where can people find you? Yeah, so you can find Inclusivity right now just on Instagram. It's at I-N-C-L-U. Oh, no. S-K-I. S-K-I-V-I-T-Y. There, I spelled it for Indra. It's Monday, <laughs> and I can't spell my organization's name. So you can find me there. Or you can find me at Indra, which is I-N-D-R-U-H, but my name is actually spelled with an A, not a U-H. A lot of people now think that it is spelled like my Instagram handle, but it is not. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and just a little PSA. <laughs> just a PSA. It's spelled I-N-D-R-A, but the Instagram handle is a U-H instead of an A. Because I get a lot so of emails funny. to Indra Hair uh, where it's spelled correctly. With a U, where they address me with a UH. It's very fun. <laughs> That's so funny. 
Um, <laughs> just so everybody knows, we'll also link that in the bio for this episode, either on Spotify or the website, just so you know where to find uh, Indra and follow up with inclusivity as she kind of pushes back into that space because it sounds like there's some super cool stuff happening. Um, was there any sponsors or anything else you wanted to plug before we head out? Um, no, I don't think so. I think just keep an eye on everything that we're up to. Uh, and yeah, it'll, it should be a good winter. For sure. And hopefully we'll have some Wombtang inclusivity collaborations in the future. Yeah. Events, I mean, let's we, do it. We've done Absolutely. it in the past, so we'll do it again. <laughs> yep. Hell yeah. That's what we Hell have to hear. Yeah. Okay. Thanks everybody for listening. And thank you, Indra, so much for joining us today. That was a funny conversation where we touched on a lot of stuff, but we will see you next Monday. Thanks everyone.